Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on what could have been, what might have been, what may have been, how I could have done something better. I try to learn from each of my experiences. The clip you just heard was from Matt Malcolm, the owner of Malcolm Accounting Services in Austin, Texas. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Matt came recommended to us from another guest from a few weeks back, Jesse Dominguez, there in Austin, Texas as well. As you're going to hear, Matt started his career with a much larger firm. And then about seven years ago, decided to make a major change and become a sole proprietor, a move that's fit much better into his life priorities here recently. If like many accountants, you've ever considered starting your own practice, or perhaps that's part of your long-term plan, this episode is going to be ideal. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit the website at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. That's www.whereaccountantsgo.com for all the show notes, as well as links to all of the other podcasts we've recorded as well. Without further ado, here we go. Well, hello, Matt. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show and share some of your experiences. We really appreciate you taking the time out. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to be able to share my experiences with others. Maybe maybe somebody will get something meaningful out of it. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Yes. I was looking for additional guests that would bring a great story to our listeners from other cities in Texas. And I had had the opportunity to interview Jesse Dominguez recently for the program. And he mentioned that you would be an excellent guest to bring on. So absolutely no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but seriously, though, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time out. I know the, the first part of the year is always, always a busy time for all of us. Not a problem. Well, I always like to start at the beginning so our audience gets an idea of, of where our guests come from, so to speak. So with that being said, I guess, how were you initially influenced to even consider accounting as a potential career? I have to say that it basically came from a lie from my mother. As uh, <laughs> right, as as bad as that's going to sound. So, as a young boy, this would be probably in you know my not quite my teens yet. I loved sports, and back in the day when you actually used to get a newspaper, you know, delivered to the house. I I used to I loved baseball growing up, and so I would get the sports section from the newspaper, and I would get the box scores from all the baseball games and I would go through and I would recalculate like batting averages and 
earned run averages and like just all sorts of different things from the box scores. And I just, I loved doing that stuff. And I think my mom noticed one time I was doing that. She's like, Matt, you, you should get into accounting. You know, you like numbers so much. And I was like, hmm. And that's really where it started. And the lie comes about because, you know, baseball statistics have absolutely nothing to do with accounting. So, <laughs> so it was a lie. She should have said you should become a statistician or study analytics or things like that. But I, I actually took that and I ran with it. I actually took a, an accounting class in high school, you know, given the option to take home ec or typing or whatever the choices were, I took an accounting class. And that, that kind of got me started, uh, you know, my mom's sort of suggestion, you know, and the high school class got me, got me started. And I almost never deviated from it. Wow. Okay. So we've had several people say middle school or a few people say middle school, several say high school, obviously college professors. It came from a lie from my mother. That is yes. the first original quote. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> yep. She lied. She, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't really a lie. It yeah. was a, it was a misunderstanding as to what, what accounting was versus statistics, but it doesn't, you know, the reality of it is, is that, is that I like numbers. I'm, a, I'm more mathematical than, you know, that side of my brain, I guess, is the, is the dominant side or that part of my brain. I don't know that that's a side, but, uh, but I'm definitely mathematical. That's a strong suit for me. And so it, it was the right, it was the right way for me to go, you know, looking back on it 20 plus years after graduating from college, it was the right decision. There's no doubt about that. Wonderful. So you started college as an accounting major and, and I did. Straight okay. And like I said, I almost, I almost, you know, I was almost going to be an accountant without deviation the entire way through. But much like many accountants out there, intermediate accounting tried very hard to break me. And I almost, I almost gave up, actually. I, and at the time, I was interning with, with a, a real estate company in college. And I was, I guess, probably in my sophomore, junior year. And my, the guys I was working with said, yeah, I, I basically was, I was done. I was ready to quit. I was ready to go into finance. And the guys, I, I went and told them, went, go down. I went to the, you know, my job one day and I was like, I'm done. I'm not going to do accounting anymore. And they're like, yes, you are. You're not going to go into finance. You're going to stay in accounting. And they convinced me to stay. And so that was obviously a big decision and I'm glad I, I stayed, but, but I almost bailed. I was, I was close. Because I, I realized after intermediate that I didn't, there were some parts of accounting that I just did not want to do, that they didn't interest me and, and was not, just not something I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. But they convinced me to stick with it. And that's, so I did. So that was just that one little blip. Yeah, there's no more difficult class than intermediate two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> except. except where I went to school, there were actually three levels of intermediate. So you had intermediate oh. one and two and three. Oh. Uh, yeah, really. That's, it was talk about torture. Wow, that's grounds to transfer right there. Uh, right? I <laughs> I know. <laughs> so what was your first position out of college? So I worked for a public accounting firm. I started as a staff accountant for a public accounting firm and I had interviewed with a few Firms. I went to a, a. I used to live on the East Coast, so I went to a, a school on the East Coast, 
you know, did my interviews through the school and I got a couple offers and I ended up, you know, going picking one firm and I just started in public accounting as a, as a staff accountant, you know, the, the grunt accountant, the starting point for, for many an accounting major. Okay. Was it so, tax audit? I was audit. I've always, I've always been audit. The offer was to be an audit associate and that's what I was looking for. I think at the, I don't, at the time, I don't, know that they were off that that firm was offering actually for tax people. I don't know how quite if everybody was quite so specialized at that point. I mean, yeah, certainly there were specializations that were tax people and audit people. But coming out of school, my recollection was that almost everybody would would start an audit and then you'd flip over to tax if you found an aptitude for it. And there wasn't a lot of hiring of people just straight to tax yet, like there definitely is now. So Was it a local firm, a national firm, regional? So it was, at the time, it was a, it was, I guess it was a regional firm. I, I started with a company that at the name, at the time was Resnick, Federer, and Silverman. And they were a, they were, I think you, what you would consider a regional firm. They had about five offices, if, if my memory serves, all headquartered in, you know, kind of the mid-Atlantic, basically. And over a period of time, that firm grew and, and merged and demerged and remerged and, and all those things and changed its name once or twice. And the firm that exists today is now known as Cone Resnick. And they're probably, they're either in the, they're just at the back of the top 10 of firms or, or just outside of the top 10 of firms. So they're a rather large firm now, and they are definitely national. But the firm grew from regional to national while I was there as well, picking up offices on the West Coast and here in Texas. That's probably part of that's definitely part of my story, but in Chicago as well, and uh, you know, into the Northeast. So, so they grew quite a bit on their own, and then merged a few years ago to become um, significantly larger. Okay, I, I don't want so. to pass over that experience because it it appears you were there a long time, correct? I was. In total, I spent 15 years okay. with the firm, and the truth of the matter is, is I. I really haven't ever left. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I, I have definitely left. I have my own firm and I'm out on my own, but I actually still contract with them during busy season and I help them out in busy season. So since 1996, which was my first busy season, uh, there has not been a busy season that I haven't worked for them. So it's uh, 20, this is what, I guess 21, 21 years. And I'm actually I'm sitting here at my computer this morning, and I'm actually reviewing an audit file for them this morning. So, um, oh. yeah. So I have never actually left, but it, but I did. I spent a long time there. I spent the first, let's see, the first twelve years of my career in the Baltimore office, where I essentially I, I grew up in around DC, the DC suburbs, and went to school in the Baltimore area, and. So I worked for their Baltimore office for 12 years. And then the big part of my story is that I, and the reason why I ended up here is because I helped them start the Austin office in 2007. I came down and helped start the audit practice in the Austin office. So that explains how, how a mid-Atlantic somewhat Yankee ended up in Texas. <laughs> well, well, <welcome. laughs> I'm glad to be here. Let me tell you, it's, I'll, I'll never go back. I tell myself that every time I go back to visit on the East Coast, I'll never go back. 
<laughs> so, so how did you come to be the individual that they asked to help start the Austin office or on that team or however that worked? Yeah, so I came down as a senior manager and I came down to lead the office. And on the audit side, we had, a, we had an office managing partner selected. I was in a leadership development program within the firm and we were doing an annual retreat and it, it came up that the, that the firm was going to be expanding and that they were looking to, to Austin and they, they were looking for people to go. And I asked about it and there was really no hesitation from the firm standpoint. And, you know, of course, I had to you know, convince my wife, although I, I'll say I didn't, didn't take a lot of convincing, but to her credit, she was, I think, two or three months pregnant with our third and last. Oh child and agreed to come down here sight unseen. Actually, she didn't come visit Austin. She didn't know really, she only knew what she could research on the internet and she agreed to move here. We, we decided in December of 2006 that we would move here and she didn't actually come down for the first time until April, I think it was towards the end of April of 2007. So it was, you know, I spoke up. I saw it as an opportunity. They were looking for somebody. They they couldn't get any. The first choice would have been a partner, um, an, an already established partner, but none of their partners wanted to move. And so they went to the next level and I, I expressed an interest and here I am. <laughs> okay. Okay. Before we move out of that section, I guess, of, of your, your career journey, for those individuals that are looking to take a similar path, you know, move mm-hmm. up within public accounting, not just maybe get into public and do two years and then move on, but yeah, you know, sure. move up. What, what advice would you have for them? I think the key is to find the right firm, right? To find the firm that you feel is a fit for your personality and your interests. The firm that I, Cone Resnick, I'll call them by their, what their name is now. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was coming up through the firm, they focused on primarily a lot of the work that they did was, a, was affordable housing related. And to me, it was work that, that I liked. It was real estate related. I got a lot of experience in real estate, which, is, which I enjoyed. It was something I had a little bit of a background in anyways because of my internship in college. And so for me, it was a good fit. But I also felt good about what we did regardless of how people may or may not approve of how government tax credits might be used to subsidize private development. And we weren't, you know, look, we weren't building anything. We were a public accounting firm. We were doing the audits. But I wasn't out there auditing Fortune 500 companies who were lining their pockets, their shareholders with, you know, with profit. We were auditing for projects, real estate projects that provided affordable housing around the country to people who had a serious need. And so I always felt really good about the work that I was doing. And so that was, for me, that was it. It was finding a firm that kind of fit my personality. I liked the people. I think it was a good personality fit there. And then I liked the work I did. And that is, I think, the key. You've got to, if you don't enjoy going to work every day, and look, we don't enjoy, nobody enjoys work every day, but if you're dreading going to work because of the people you're going to see and the work you're going to do, that's not the place for you. So finding a place where you feel like you fit, you feel like your personality fits, you feel like you enjoy the work, you know, maybe not every day, but most of the time, that is the key, I think, to finding a a company to grow with. That's great advice. I 
I feel like professionals or younger professionals, people getting out of college, you know, just, just starting to make those decisions, sometimes stress too much about, you know, should it be audit? Should it be tax? Should it be mm-hmm. industry? And then, frankly, all the other options that don't even get mentioned. And, and really, my first response is always, well, where do you think you'll be the most successful and you'll enjoy it the most? Because right. I, I think that, yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. And most people, look, I mean, one of the, I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not a statistician right? Because my mom told me to be an accountant. But I think that, I don't know what the statistics say, but I can tell you that most of them, the over-under on the number of jobs you have throughout your lifetime is definitely more than one. So you're not going to find the job most likely when you come out of college. It's, you have to understand that it's, it's going to be part of that roadmap of your life, right? As you, as you move along and you just, you don't have to find the job when you're 22 years old and coming out of college. But what you should find is something that gives you a good start and, you know, makes you feel that it's something you want to do, that it's a good fit for you. And, and, you know, that prepares you for what's next, right? Whatever that is prepares you for what's next. Yes, definitely. Well, I guess, how did you end up transitioning into self-employment? What led you to that decision? How did, how did all that work? Yeah. So I came here in July of 2007. I got to Austin and I had a rough two and a half years. It was because I wasn't a partner. We had a lot of challenges on the audit side. You know, logistically, we just, you know, for anybody who's familiar with an audit practice, I mean, you got to have an audit partner to issue reports and review work and get everything out the door and sign, you know, sign the, sign the opinions. And, and we didn't have that. So we had to work remotely and I was close the reality is it's like I probably was already there when I left Baltimore, mm-hmm. but I didn't take work with me. Firm at that point in time wasn't necessarily of the mind to send work to other offices. It was still very very territorial as far as work goes and, and ledgers and things like that. And so I didn't take a lot of work with me and everything I got was new. And we had a new office. And with new people, people trans- a few other people transferred from throughout the firm, and we hired a couple of people, and we just it was pretty challenging. Not that it wasn't up to the challenge, but it it was a little bit of an eye-opening experience. I got an opportunity to go from an office where there, you know, people as you moved up, you were well protected. As you moved through the ranks, from staff to senior to manager, senior manager, that there, you were well protected and to where, you know, I was completely exposed, essentially, in Austin. And we struggled. You know, there's no sugarcoating that we struggled. We struggled with profitability. We struggled with delivery and for any number of different reasons. And I got an opportunity to kind of see a little bit of how it all worked. And being in how it was in Baltimore, where everybody was kind of protected, there are things that I... I got to see about the workings of a public accounting firm in Austin that I didn't get to see in Baltimore. Mm. And I realized at some point in 2010 that it just, I, it's not what I wanted to do. This, you know, as much as I appreciated moving here and starting the office and all the time and experience that I spent with that firm, I didn't want to do that anymore. So I started exploring other opportunities. And I left at the end of 2010 without any real plan. 
I mean, I had some general ideas. I was looking around Austin to see what I could find. You know, market was not ideal at the time, but I, I ended up, as I said, I, I contract with my old firm. And so I, so while I was still trying to figure out what I, what I wanted to do, I was working for them even after I left. Oh, okay. And so that gave me some time to start to, to really you know, think about what I wanted to do. And, and I started to develop some business. I started to get some referrals. And, and before I knew it, it kind of took on a life of its own. And, you know, and, and I realized I could actually just start my own business. I could, I could go that route. I, I kind of had a do or die moment at the end of February because when I left the, my firm, I didn't, my, my wife has been a, a stay-at-home mom since our first one was born and a first child was born. And so we're completely dependent on me and my job for health coverage. And so when I left, I, you know, I didn't take health coverage with me. And so I had the option of Cobra, which was at the time I thought was outrageously expensive. And I had until February 28th or so, because I left it, I left right on December 31st. So I had about 60 days to figure out what I wanted to do. And by the end of, of February, I, I had enough of a sense that I could go out on my own that I, I actually went out and I was about ready to sign the COBRA documents so we didn't lose any coverage. And I actually went out and got healthcare through my business. So that was, for me, a big turning point. Like that was, that was the point where I said, I'm going to be in business for myself because at that point I had to make that decision. Am I going to get my own health insurance, or am I going to am I going to limp along with Cobra until I find something called a more permanent sort of occupation? And that was it. And so, but from then on, that was kind of the starting point. It just it's kind of it's grown from there. Okay, okay. Well, you were blessed with some uh, good referral business yeah. in a reasonably short period of time then, because the Cobra window is fairly narrow. <laughs> yes, it is. I had a. Almost immediately after I left my old firm, there was a, a group in Houston who was doing wind farm development, and they were looking for some, they needed a controller type, controller CFO type. And I went down and I met with them, and I did not want to be in Houston. I didn't want to live in Houston. I didn't want to commute to Houston. And, but we hit it off pretty well. And so I started to work for them almost immediately, probably within a couple of months, of leaving my old firm and I continue to work for them to this day. I, they, they hired a local controller. He's like more like a CFO type and I'm like, a, I'm like their outsourced controller and they've been a client for six years now and they've been a pretty big one for me. So yeah, there's some things that kind of aligned quickly enough that I was able to realize that I actually could make a business out of it. So a lot of referrals, I, you know, I never burning a bridge is huge, is huge. So what does Malcolm Accounting Services look like today? What areas do you service? What do you do? Yeah, so it's still basically just me. I, I actually, that's important. After spending, you know, 15 years in public accounting and probably probably 12 or so of those, right? I, I probably made senior after a couple of years at Resnick. So after about 12 or 13 years of supervising people and going through that process, which I used to love, literally used to love training and teaching people and all that stuff, I didn't want to do it anymore. I was done. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a public accounting thing, right? Sure. You really enjoy doing that stuff until the demands of your position, whatever position that is, basically make it so that 
if you're going to do that stuff, the only way to do that stuff, the only way to sit down and train and teach and do the things that you really want to do is to continue to work more hours because you get all those other things now that you've got to do. You know, it's the further along you go, the more administrative stuff, the meetings, the, the billing, all the stuff that you have to do. So I feel like that's pretty common that the, kind of the higher up you go, the, the further away you get from the things that you used to really like to do because you've got so many other things that, that now, you know, get onto your plate that you're required to do. So, so I kind of purposely am in a soul shop now. Nah, my wife was a business management major in college. And while she only worked for a couple of years until our oldest was born, she's got enough of an accounting background that I act, she actually helps me out with some of my work. But I, I would call myself kind of a hybrid. I'm, I would say that the firm, is, you know, really just me, does some hybrid of outsource controller CFO, bookkeeping, and consulting. I don't do tax work because I'm not a tax person. I famously know enough tax to be dangerous. Okay. So most of the most of the programs that I had experience with, like affordable housing programs, are heavily tax. There's a lot of tax components to them. And and so I do have a fair understanding of tax, but I don't I'm not a preparer. I don't want to be a preparer. And so I don't I don't do prep work. And I certainly don't want the liability of audits. And I just, I'm not interested in anything in reviews or compilations either, which works out well for me, actually, because I don't, I don't really cross over against my old firm in any way. So we don't, you know, while we get into issues of, you know, non-compete and things like that, and I'm not supposed to take their clients and, and, and all that good stuff, but I don't do the same thing that they do other than maybe consult, you know, the, the consulting aspect is probably where we have a little bit of overlap. But that's the stuff that I enjoy doing. I do. I enjoy the consulting aspect of things the most because it's, I get to work with people and teach them the things that I've learned over the years and the ways that there are programs out there that can help them to develop their projects. To me, that's a, that's a big thing for me and what I, a lot of what I enjoy doing in, kind of in my firm personally. So that's really what we, what we do, what I do. And I have clients all over the place. I'd say half of my clients are local meaning Austin and and the other half are probably people I've never actually met, but I've been referred to them. I've got, uh, for example, I have clients in Chicago and Minnesota and Florida. And these are people, I guess I've you know met some of them maybe once or twice, but I don't see them regularly. We work remote. And the beauty of technology today is that you can do that quite easily. And so it, it's actually... For me, it turned out to be a good model, basically. I think I know what the answer is going to be, but what what have you enjoyed the most about being self-employed? Honestly, I would say that it is the freedom. (laughs) It's freedom. The best way I can describe it is if I work this weekend, and I probably will, it'll be because it's my choice. It's not because some firm tells me I have to. It's not because... It's not because some partner says, I need to be working. I've got to meet a certain number of billable hours. If I work this weekend, if I need to, it'll be because I choose to. And if I choose to not work, if I want to spend the rest of my day today sitting out on my back porch with a a Hawaiian drink in my hand and my flip-flops on and a floppy hat on my head, I can do that. I take pride in the fact that since I started my firm in basically the end of 2010, the beginning of 2011, I haven't had a client fire me. 
there have been some clients that have gone away for whatever reason. You know, client hires a controller. They don't really need to pay me to do their stuff anymore. And that's fine. But in six years, I haven't lost a client. So I completely understand client service and making sure that my clients are satisfied, that I do right, that I, I give them the service that they need. But I can do that at times that suit me. And so I have not missed much of anything of my kids in the last six years, you know, athletic events or school programs or whatever. I haven't missed much of anything where for the first seven years or so, I guess my son was, my oldest was born in 2000. So we moved to 2007, you know, for those first seven years, every busy season, I was, I was gone. I was traveling. I was working late, you know, I had a horrible commute in the Baltimore area. So So to me, it is completely about the freedom, the freedom to work when I choose to or not work when I choose to, but never, never to the detriment of my clients. I'm not lazy about it. It's not like I don't deliver to them, but I make sure I do, but it's just a function of, I make it work with, with my schedule. I have, I have a very, very good work-life balance. And I just don't think that would have been achievable, you know, in, in public accounting for me. Well, knowing what you know now yeah. about you know, running your business and starting mm-hmm. it, if you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice, I mean, what, what do you think that might be? Well, let me, let me say this, because I get people that ask me this all the time, too, and it's not totally answering your question. I, I will get to answering your question. I get a lot of people who ask me, would I do the move again, right? Because I moved here two and a half and spent two and a half years with the firm thinking that this would, you know, I would stay, I'd become a partner and I would do whatever. And that's the only place I would ever be. And, and in two and a half years, let me say that in those two and a half years, you know, my house suffered. I, it was quite stressful, you know, trying to run that office. And I lost weight in an unhealthy way. I wish I could lose some of that weight now, but uh, <laughs> wish I could have some of that weight lost back. But it was not a, you know, it was not a good thing. And I like to tell people I would do it all over again because of the experiences that I got here, because I, because I got exposed here to, you know, because I didn't have a, a cocoon to protect me like I would have had it had I stayed in Baltimore. There are a lot of things that I learned and I would not be as good at what I do today in my own business had I, had I stayed in Baltimore and tried to, and tried to go out on my own there. My experiences in two and a half years here gave me the knowledge, the experience, the confidence to go out and start my own business. If I had to go back and, and tell my younger self anything, wow, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets, Mark. I got to, I got to tell you, I, I'm a pretty happy guy, all things considered. I guess what I would say is that I accept the consequences of the decisions I make, right? They're up or they're down, they're neutral, whatever. I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on what could have been, what might have been, what may have been, how I could have done something better. I try to learn from each of my experiences, and I use that to improve myself and improve the kind of person, I guess, that I am and, the, and, and how I conduct my business. You know, I try to draw on all those experiences, positive and negative, and, and let those kind of make me who I am. I don't, I don't really carry a lot of regrets, which is, which, you know, I don't know, maybe that's odd. Maybe that's, maybe it's not, but I don't, there's not a lot that I think I can really tell myself to be like, no, you should have, you should have stopped and smelled that rose or, you know, I feel like 
I'm pretty happy with all the decisions I'm, I've made. They because they led me to here, right? I if sure. if you were talking to a guy, if you're talking to a guy right now who who was like, man, I just keep slaving away at my job and hate going in every day and all that stuff. I bet I could probably give you some some thoughts on you know what I would have told myself. I mean, I got it pretty good, you know. So I don't I don't really look at it and think there are a lot of things that I would go back and and change. I would still. I would still move here in a heartbeat, knowing what I know now, because it's be, not just because of the job, too. Not just because my because my personal business has turned out to be really good, but you know, I look at my family here. I look at the things that they've done, what they've gotten involved with. I look at the the friends that they've made, and I, I'm like, our our quality of life here is is far better than it would have been had we had we stayed. So, so I would actually go back and tell myself, if, it's funny if I actually knew how the, you know, before I made the move, if I was able to go back and tell myself, you know, for two and a half years, you're going to have a pretty tough time with it. Uh, you lose some weight. You're going to be stressed out. I would be like, but you better do it. You better move because <laughs> the rest of your life is going to be really good. So that's the way I look at it. There you go. That's good advice. Yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, even though now Super. I realize you're probably sitting on your back porch and flip-flops with a wife <laughs> doing this interview. That's now I know. <laughs> I do have a few questions I end every podcast with. I think sure. it gives us some, some good insight and consistency. First one, what's been your proudest moment, either in your career or life? What's been your proudest moment? You know, it'll sound corny, but the birth of my kids, okay. for sure. I mean, I'm not a terribly emotional guy. My wife will tell you I, I have no emotions. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have none. I, I just tend to take a rosy outlook on life. I try to, I try to be pretty even keel, but I mean, having, having my kid, I re- still remember my, when my oldest was born and for a guy who's got, you know, zero emotions, I, you know, I, again, th- that's an over-exaggeration. I remember he, he was born and I held him for the first time and you know, what's a normal reaction, right? Somebody might cry or whatever, picked up my newborn son. I laughed. Like, like I laughed, I laughed out loud. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm a father. This is my baby. Right. Like this is crazy. So, so that's, I mean, that's kind of how mixed up my emotions are. I laughed about it, but, but that's, I would say, I mean, it's just, it, to me, it's been amazing to be a parent. I love being a father to my kids. So that's corny. Maybe, it, maybe it's cliche, whatever, but that's how I, I feel that the, the work stuff, yeah, well, that's work. You know, at the end of the day, it pays the bills. It's a, it is what it is. Families are irreplaceable. And, and so I want to play favorites, love all my kids the same. That, and my firstborn obviously was just something impossible to replicate that particular moment in time but all three you know the birth of all three is definitely right there top of the list okay yeah three three kids all boys all so boys. i have wow. a i have a, a high school junior a high school freshman and i have a fourth grader wow. so a little, little bit of a spread there but but that was kind of by design well tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it and don't hold back the more yeah. colossal the better <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wow. A mistake I've made. I mean, I've made, I guess I've made lots of work-related mistakes. Whatever the biggest you know, one is. <laughs> but, but, yeah. 
I don't have anything that was so colossal that I was like, it, it worked that I thought, Oh boy, this is, this is a, you know, a really bad one. I, I have, I guess I have a good one work related. And then I'll give you one just life related that I learned from. So work related, this isn't like a terribly colossal mistake, but this is something that happened. I had a, a nonprofit client in the Baltimore area and I, I was driving home one day and, and this was in the days of the autopags. I know you can appreciate this, Mark. So nothing was electronic. And, and I had a big old audit bag with all the audit work papers. I think I was at the end of the engagement. It was about two or three weeks. This was a nonprofit that had, it was a consolidation. So it was a pretty good size amount of work. And I'm driving home with my audit bag in the back of my car. And I'm cruising along. And all of a sudden, I hear that unmistakable sound of a flat tire. So, so I, you know, pull over to the side of the road and this is probably, you know, I'm, I'm in my twenties or so, you know, I probably mid to mid late twenties. And so it's not my first flat tire. First one I ever got, I probably freaked out, didn't know what to do, but so I, I knew what to do. I got my stuff out of the trunk. I got my, got my donut out, got the jack, did the dirty deed, got the tire replaced put everything back in the trunk, closed up the trunk and drove on home. And I was about 25 minutes from my house. So I, I cruise on home. I pull in, you know, my parking spot. I lived in a townhouse at the time, pull in my parking spot. I go to open up my trunk. I got my computer in there and I'm looking and that trunk has got a tire and it's missing something. Oh no. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh my God, where is that <laughs> audit bag? So I, I go inside and I tell my wife, I think I've lost my audit bag. And you know, this is a lot of work. This is several weeks worth of work, time spent at the client, obviously with deadlines. I'm like, I, I, what am I going to do? And I, yeah. I think I immediately called the audit partner, a guy who I, I respect and know and he, Guy, I still have actually helped out to this day. A big, big influencer for me, somebody who taught me a lot. And he was like, You got to find it. Okay. So I, so, you know, I do what I logically should do. And I, I get back in the car and my wife goes with me and I get back out on the road. I go back to where I changed the tire. Um, hmm. There's no audit bag sitting there. <laughs> oh. So I don't, maybe I hadn't called the partner yet. Maybe that was it. I hadn't call, quite called the partner. Yet. So I, I went back home. I think that was the, at the point where I called the partner. Cause I said, now I was like, okay, it's gone. And there's literally nothing of value in there. Right. That you, I'm sure you yeah. can appreciate that, that, you know, paper. it's paper that is, there's, there's no dollar bills, <laughs> no hidden <laughs> hidden treasure. Just hours of billable time. <laughs> yeah, I might, right, right. I might, have had, I might have had my 10 key in there, but Lord knows those 10 keys, as enormous as they were, were not of any value. So, so I go home and I'm, you know, I'm pretty miserable about it. I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm probably home an hour or two. And thankfully, there is my business card. I think I had taped my business card onto the audit bag. Oh. Which is mostly about ownership, because in those days, there were only a limited number of audit bags. And if yours wasn't labeled and it was in your queue, then somebody stole it when they went out of town. 
so that was all about ownership. So I was fortunate that I, I actually had a, my business card on there. And I don't know, I mean, this is, you know, in the early, wow, this is before kids. This is in the, this is in the late 90s. So it's questionable if I had a cell phone at that point in time. So, and I'm certain it wasn't on my card. So I don't even know how I was contacted. In fact, I think, I think at the end, I think somebody might have looked up the number and called that and called our house, the old school style. Wow. Right. And they said that they thought they had something of mine. And so I arranged to meet them at a, at a gas station, not too far from my house. And lo and behold, it was, it was my audit bag. And I, you know, I was late nineties. I'd only been out of college for a couple of years. <laughs> so, and I was poor, we were house poor. We had a townhouse. I mean, I didn't have a lot of money, but I offered, I think it was a guy. I don't, I don't remember. I, and I think I offered him, I gave him 20 bucks. Cause I was, you know, first of all, I'm poor. And that was probably about the extent of what I was going to able to afford to give him anyways. And I don't have no idea. It was worth a lot more than $20 to me personally. It was worth yeah. zero to that, to that guy, <laughs> but it was worth a lot more than $20 to me. But I, I did get that audit bag back, thankfully. And I, so I, I have never, never been so fortunate in my life to be able to recover that. And I would say that, I mean, it's, I wouldn't miss, I don't know if we call that a mistake or, or what, but it makes for a good story. I would, yes. I would say, I will give you one other super quick. I'll give you a real other one. This is a life lesson. So after I got here, I had a, I had a Subaru Forester as my, as my car when we moved here. And th- there is absolutely zero need for a Subaru Forester in central Texas. Um, <laughs> all wheel drive is like completely unnecessary. And I was doing well here. You know, I, I was working for Cone Resnick. I was, you know, I was doing well. And so we, I talked to my wife about you know, getting a new car. Well, I thought that talking to her was kind of sufficient. I personally thought we had sort of come to an agreement that it was okay if I was going to get a new car. And so I came home with one. And um, <laughs> don't ever make that mistake again. Anybody listening, don't make that. Don't ever make that mistake. Just make a phone call. Make sure that that your significant other who you share your bank account with knows that this is what you're planning to do today on this very day, because I, I still get stuff about that even, even today. So even though we've moved well past that, but I have never made that mistake again. So yeah, I can relate. I've been married over 20 years and I think it's uh, it's not an issue of permission. It's an issue of respect. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that is correct. (laughs) I have to yeah. tell you, I thought the audit bag story was going to end with a, a shower of papers on the highway or something like that. So. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy it didn't. It was it was so much work. It was a lot of work, and it was. I mean, and you know, in those days, there was no, there was you know, there was very little electronic. So there was nothing nowadays. There is no paper. There's no audit bag to be left on the side of the road. You leave your computer. Sure, but even now, you know, most of the most of the audit stuff is not even it's on a network somewhere. It's not even on your computer, so there's really nothing to lose. But back then, it was you know it was everything. So sure, sure, that was that was rough for for a guy who was trying to make his career at the firm at the time. It was a, you know a senior and somebody who was in charge of the engagement to lose all the audit work probably doesn't bode well for one's career. Well, let's end the interview with a piece of advice. What's the best advice you've ever received? 
go let's go back to that idea where I almost where I almost left accounting, right? Mm. When I had my internship in college and, and those the guys that I worked for, and I was doing I can't remember if I was doing accounting for them yet. I think I was. I was I was doing accounting work for them. And the best advice was to stay to stick with it. I mean I could do, you could do anything with an accounting degree, right? You become so knowledgeable about financial statements and accounting and the language of business as, as we like to call it. And it's such a jumping off point to so many other things. If that's what you choose to do, if I did not have that influence, if I did not have those voices telling me, you know, stay with it, just get through it. I'd be in a completely different place because I would have I would have listened to myself and I would have gone in probably into finance and who knows you know where I would have ended up so so that was easily the the best piece of advice I ever got and from and of course from a, co- a couple of accountants who who said stay with it so that was it if you can make it through intermediate right that's the that's the key that's the advice if you can survive intermediate you will be good. There you go. That that is good advice because there really are just unlimited options with an accounting degree. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just a jumping off point, right? It just it just opens many other doors, and you just got to stick with it. Never mind the fact that coming out of college, you actually have a you have a clear path to a job. If you're a business management major, my wife will be the first one to tell you. My roommate in college, same thing, management major. Be the first to say what you don't come out and you don't manage a business. So, you know, there's not as clear of a path to kind of your post college career. And so with accounting, it's you get an accounting job. You might not be it might be in public accounting, it might not, but it's an accounting job. You know where you're going with your with your career. Um, it's an accounting job. And so that is that's huge, I think. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad Jesse suggested you as a guest. This has been this has been a wonderful interview. You've given us not just some career insight, but some good insight into self-employment. And we haven't had that for, for many episodes. That goes back to some of the early episodes. So thank you hmm. so much, Matt. Hey, I, my pleasure. I'm, I hope that your listeners hear something in our discussion here that sparks them or gives them an idea or helps them in, in some way. Yes, definitely. You've, you've done a, a good job of, of giving us some insight into other alternatives, which is beautiful. So I really appreciate it. You're well, quite welcome. Run, well, I hope to run into you at a TSCPA event or something else here in the state soon, sometime. Until then, we'll talk to you later. All righty. Thanks so much. As I alluded to in the intro, this episode was packed with value if you are or have ever considered self-employment as a career option. In addition, though, Matt shared some good insight into making career choices overall, whether looking at the self-employment path or looking to move up into management or even ownership in a firm as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. We're a production of Where Accountants Go a career site for accountants with links to all of the different certification options available for accounting professionals, as well as an events page and even a job board. Join us again next week for another interview with yet another everyday hero from the accounting profession, just like yourself. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for the show, and we'll see you next week. There's more to come.